All right, ladies and gentlemen, automotive enthusiast friends from uh, all over the place. Yeah, it happened. I don't know if you meant to or not, but uh, you pushed play on yet another... Another perspicacious episode of V8 Radio, <laughs> Kevin. Perspicacious? Oh, yeah, and I had to practice that one for a while to make sure I got it right. What the I'm heck is perspicacious? Uh, yeah, yeah, you and me both. What is perspicacious? That means uh, highly perceptive or keen, much like our oh. listeners. Much like our guest. Yes. Oh, God. All right. I'm your host, Kevin Osti, joined as always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Cuball-Clark. And we have a perspicacious guest on the line, uh, my good friend, Mr. Chris Vopat. Chris, welcome to the show. You're already setting the bar high with perspicacious. Thank you. I don't feel nervous at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that you're going to do pretty well in this trivia question thing. So Mike had to stack well, the cards in our favor somehow. Well, I, first of all, I, I'm honored to be here. I don't know how I qualified to be on such a lofty uh, interface with the automotive public. I mean, there are, there are eagles in this industry, and I am I am but a mere feather that has dropped from one of the wings of those those eagles and have just been <laughs> floating on the winds of the industry for the past twenty years. Time out. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, pal. Except I've been uh, I've been being pushed down the road by the gas of the industry, <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> like you, a tumbleweed. You, yeah, but you forced gumped your way through it a lot better than I have. That's a great way to put it, because that's about what happened. <laughs> Wake up one day eating a box of chocolates. Next thing you know, you're peeing Dr. Pepper in the White House. You know what are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gee whiz. Well, uh, before we get into uh, story time with Mr. Vopat, uh, one of the reasons why our handful of listeners actually come to this experience is because of our automotive trivia question time. And uh, each episode, uh, we prepare a trivia question and we ask our, our esteemed guests to, uh, to join in. And uh, Chris, did you uh, prepare a question for us? I, I, I did, and, and um, I, I don't want to appear perspicacious. Um, <laughs> but, Bonus you know, points for a good proper use of the word. Uh, well, you use it in a sentence like it's a spelling bee or something. But, I, you know, I, get, I thought about it, and um, I, in, I've been in my, my COVID bunker and doing a lot of automotive research, and I've, oh, I've, no. been, studying the, yeah, I've been studying the cars of France. So, okay, Citroën. Which is no longer sold in the U.S., but or Citron, as you would say, um, as you yes, these bag Americans would say, <laughs> it's a Citron, right? Yeah, um, but the 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 emblem for years has been a double chevron, and there is a symbolic reason why the Citron emblem is a double chevron. Anybody want to hazard a guess? Well, because I'm a very gracious host and a very generous person, <laughs> I, will, uh, I will let our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Cuball-Clark, field the first guess on what he thinks about the Citron. Oh, uh, double oh, chevron. All right. So what, uh, what is the meaning behind the double chevron of the Citron emblem? Yeah. You ever been to France, Mike? I have not been to France. You've been close. Yeah, I've been to Germany and England. Yeah. Um, let's not going to help you. And Italy for uh, for about twenty minutes. It was like going to Wisconsin. Yeah, I zipped in, picked <laughs> the guys up, we zipped out. Did you have the EM? Did you have the EM fifty with you? Of course, I have the EM fifty. I don't go to Europe without it. Did, did you get it washed? <laughs> I took it up to uh, the Alps to go shishing. 
<laughs> and now we go shooting. <laughs> oh man. Okay, the two emblems. I'm gonna just throw it out there and say that it represents I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's something along the lines of the uh of the the rings of the Audi emblem that have to do with the auto union from Germany. Ooh, I'm going to say that you wasted one. Yeah, right. Wow. I'm going to yeah. say it, it's it's a similar thing with the the Citron uh, emblem that it represents two major uh, car companies that came together. Wow, that is a that is a good a good guess. Not correct, but a very good oh. guess. Well, hey, you're not supposed to reveal that till the end of the show. So. Uh... Oh, sh- I'm sorry. It could be. Uh, it's a great it could guess. Be. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was. Yeah, maybe you were wrong. Audi. Yeah, okay. Uh, ah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, we didn't go over the rules, so I didn't know that. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah, yeah. We, we reveal <laughs> these answers at the end of the show. This yeah. is the way we uh, bait and switch people into listening to this whole thing. We ask the question uh, okay. again. Okay. But don't worry, only 30% of, well, 60, I guess 15% of the uh, suspense has been released here because we got okay. multiple people with a couple questions. So. Uh, but it, it still could be. Okay, could be. But that was one of the most insightful answers I think we've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Well, you just ate, I think. Yeah, I think that helps, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm All right, just coming so... off my three-day drunk. <laughs> 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 and there's a story behind that too for yeah. our listeners. Uh, as oh. we speak, our friend Mr. Vopet's actually coming off the actual COVID-19 virus experience. I've been. I have been locked in my bedroom for 10 days. Yeah, my, yeah. my, my wife uh, leaves my meals at the door, calls me to let me know they're ready. She steps away. I put a mask on and open up the door, pull my meals in and eat them. And I, uh, everything is on paper plates and plastic nice and, and so nothing dirty leaves the room. You just I, burn everything in, in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> I just put them in a trash bag and throw them out the window. Yeah, well, I, it, it, I'm glad to hear that you're coming out of it. And hey, before we got started, uh, uh, Chris mentioned that the the worst of his experience felt like a three day drunk, and then three days of sleep, and then delirium. So that's what Mike's reference was: <laughs> the three day drunk. <laughs> well, it it, it 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 when I got I, I got a mobile a drive up test, and I felt like garbage. And it, you know, it, the, uh, my wife is in the medical world, so she hooked me up with a test with a result within an hour so still sitting in my car and getting the phone call you are positive while my condition is deteriorating and then i have to get most of the way across orange county back home while i feel drunk Uh, (laughs) (laughs) man you're lucky that that could have been really bad it could have been but you know it's weird i was thinking about all the different you know your life stops because you just get shoved in a room while the rest of the world continues around you uh, and that includes all the projects you were working on. So uh, I was kind of in the middle of putting a backup camera in my wife's car. So unfortunately, um, she just finished her portion of the of, of the of the isolation, which is the rest of our house. But she's been driving around, unfortunately, with half a dashboard, uh, no door oh, panels. Man. <laughs> oh no! Oh, gee whiz. <laughs> The interior of her car is piled up next to it in the garage because I was, <laughs> unfortunately, I was and, and loose wires everywhere because I'm in the middle of this project and all of a sudden I got to put the brakes on it. Oh wow! So well, I, I've hats off, hats off to her for uh, unfortunately driving her 
stripped interior automobile for the time yeah. being. <laughs> no kidding. That that is that is crazy. The things and, the women in our life put up with. Yeah. Oh yeah, and 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 taking the time to call me and ask me what I'd like to eat for my next meal. How is that? Yeah, um, she's know, a my, saint. Here, here's my options. Yeah, that's <laughs> impressive. Good woman. It is. Yeah, she really, really is. Well, the good thing is that bought me a whole bunch of time to think about the Citron question. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and what? It, and what did Wikipedia say? <laughs> I know. I, I, I never look it up, man. I, uh, okay. I don't cheat. All right, all right, all right. Primarily because there's nothing to gain because we have no prizes, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> oh. Well, I guess that's true. <laughs> I guess you're um, right. But I, I don't know. I know a little bit of this answer, but I don't know all of it. And the little bit that I know, I seem to recall that that double chevron V thing in that logo is supposed to represent some sort of a mesh gear pattern is what I'm thinking because Citroen advanced a, I don't know, transmission or some drive or whatever, but I I don't know that part of it, but I think it's supposed to represent a a V series, you know, like a, I forgot even what that's called when the gears are Mm. cut in a V pattern. Wow. That's my guess. Interesting. Very interesting. Nice. Yeah, just just as wrong huh. as Mike. But nice you know, guess. Uh, you never good. know. You know <clears throat> yeah. You, you know, it's funny. You you asked Mike a minute ago if he had ever been to France, and I've never been anywhere. I was I've been to the Auto Sports Show in England, which is like going to Wisconsin. But um, <laughs> it made me think about my my parents' last trip to Europe. Now, they could have brought me back any kind of souvenir. They went to France, Italy. They you know Salomons. They do all this. Stuff. What's what's the best souvenir they could have brought their son? My 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 dad hands me a half smashed chrome plastic Peugeot grill badge, the rearing the rearing lion. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but Did it's you pick all it up off the street or something. It was scratched up, and I'm like, "What gives?" He goes, "We're standing on the street corner in Paris. I see this big wreck." <laughs> a, Peugeot, a Peugeot nails, a Peugeot nails another car goes up on the sidewalk. The grill explodes. He goes, "I picked this up. Here you go. I figured you, this would be the best souvenir you'd want from France." There you go. <laughs> nice. That is pretty cool, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I still have it. Well, I know you do. Yeah, and and uh, <laughs> Mike, if you uh, this this may have changed over the past twenty years, but uh, many years ago, Chris's decor in his house was oh. very automotive centric. <laughs> And he had various badges oh, and, and uh, nameplates framed and stuff on the walls. Uh, oh, and partly man. because in Southern California, where Chris lives, uh, and when I lived out there, we could go to junkyards and find weird cars that were still on oh, the yeah. road. Oh, cool. So oh. I remember, Chris, I, I once went to the scrapyard and I, I gave you a, uh, a Hillman Minx you badge. Did. Yeah, that oh, got wow. framed I fr- hung on the wall. I framed it's still in my hallway. Um, it, it, right I still, nice. dude, I still have that. Um, so, oh, you got to understand this was, this is after my, my freedom from my, my, uh, release from the, the, the service of the state from my first wife. And I felt a very intense sense of freedom of being released from country bear jamboree plates on the wall and stuff like that. And, and, <laughs> And, and, you know, brilliant. No, now you know you spend your weekends at a junkyard. You get ideas, and so you start bringing home tailgates for coffee tables and radiators for end tables and camshafts mm-hmm. for lamps and stuff like that. And I was so proud to bring you know 
prospective mates to my home and show it off. And the comment was typically, <laughs> you decorated yourself, didn't you? <laughs> what do you think, baby? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I called it Sanford and Son meets the Smithsonian. Now, um, I realized I needed some grown-up furniture to, you know, really advance myself in life. But my, my wife has graciously allowed me to keep uh, certain things like the... Uh, uh, the Minx emblem. Uh, we still have the Cadillac toilet. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, we 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 have the Hall of Transportation, which is a lot of automotive themed artwork down our hallway. Yeah, um, yeah. But most of the other stuff had to go back to the junkyard, which it really, you know, when your house starts to smell like a junkyard, you know. Mm. Yeah, you know, those radiators yeah. are hard to get really clean from an old Dodge truck or whatever oh. it was. Yeah, they are. They really are. But well, yeah, we're also was... talking to a guy who, for Halloween, once dressed up like a, uh, a late 80s Buick station wagon. <laughs> nice. Again. Again. And I think I still uh, have that hat, by the way. Holy crap. <laughs> and again, you know, you're you're at the <laughs> junkyard on a Saturday. You know that Kevin's party is that night. And you don't have a costume, and you're standing in front of a Buick estate wagon. What would you do? You know. <laughs> so he made a baseball cap, put wood grain on the bill, put some stick-on chrome trim around the edge of the bill. Nice. Had the hood ornament, the Buick hood ornament on top of the hat. Yeah. And then he wears like this red, I don't know, like a long sleeve shirt, and then made like a vest of wood grain. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> With a state wagon on it. was awesome. <laughs> And, and that, that allowed me to retain some, like, mobility walking around your place. Uh, the other one, I think, was the, the Packard hood ornament, which I had to paint myself silver. Um, oh, yes. Which, yes. You know, n- that's a hard pull. You know, you're an obscure mid-1930s hood ornament. Uh, in the modern day, most people are like, what are you, the FTD florist? Or, you know, what are you <laughs> Right, yeah, paint? exactly. <laughs> your mercury. Nobody knew what that was. Nobody knew. Yeah, we had some serious Halloween parties, and uh, oh my gosh, Chris yeah. always brought it up to another level. Nice. Now, now nice. speaking of that, I don't know if we need to stay on any kind of particular topic, Kevin. Well, but... you know, we're going to do real fast before you go there. Uh, we still ah. got two more trivia questions here. We got to get Mike's oh, and mine oh. out here. So, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's I'm okay. Sorry. It's okay. It's all good. It's all yeah. good. Beautiful. Uh, our listeners like things getting changed up every once in a while. It's all good stuff. So, uh, uh, Mikey, have you prepared a trivia question for uh, myself and our Ab- guests? Absolutely. All right, so, all right, boys. Um, what was the cost of the most expensive Hot Wheels car ever made? Like like the current retail like value? Or? And bonus question, yeah. what was the car? Um, it, was talking special, about like, it was a commemorative yeah. car. Okay. So not really open for the general public, but... Are you talking about, like, when it was new or what the current value is? What what it cost to, to make. Oh, what it cost make. to manufacture. Mm. Hot Wheels oh. car. Well, because I'm a generous host... Yes, you are. I'm going to allow our guest, Mr. Chris Vopat, to take the oh, first man. whack at that one. Oh, man. Well, I'm going with uh, Beach Bomb, which is the Volkswagen uh, van. But the limited edition, which had the side-mounted surfboard, um, in some sort of like a pearl pink color. Are we talking like like old days Hot Wheels or or any of all time? Any oh, Hot Wheels. All right, I'm sticking with my Beach Bomb. Um, so what was? Oh, the... 
What was the cost? Like brand new. Um, well, now today, that's like the most coveted one of today, which is in the 20000 range. But, oh man, if I'm going to stick with the Beach Bomb, I can only go with like maybe 3 $4, which I know ain't going to get it. Well, I think he was talking about, well, I'll bite my tongue. Great answer. (laughs) 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 If we're talking standard line Hot Wheel, I don't know. Well, like I said, it was a, it was a, it was a special unit that was, that was made. Okay. That's all I'll give you. That's, that's, that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. All right, all right. All right. Well, that's that's a great answer, I think, to a different question. <laughs> yeah, it went, went off the rails. Well, what he's talking about is that that Beach Bomb VW bus is like the highest valued Hot Wheels car of all time, especially with right. the side mount surfboards on it. But I think the question was, what was the most expensive one to produce? Correct. Not current value, or not the most expensive yeah. one to buy. I, I'll I'll give you I'll give you another shot at that, Mister Vopat. Yes. If should you should you decide to take it, hmm. you, you, you want to guess again? He is suffering uh, from the COVID, so yeah, it's all right. Uh, you know, you know, I'm not going to take any more of my time on this. I'm going to I'm going to allow our our, our host to. <laughs> uh, well, I, I never said I knew the answer. I just I could understand the question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm gonna say expense that 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 whole Hot Wheels thing is an economy of scale. So the more they make, the cheaper they they become. So this had to have been like a super limited edition with only like 50 or so made, and it was probably in some exotic material. So maybe it was like gold or something. Um, commemorative for, I don't know, a movie release or Elvis's birthday or some, I, I don't know. But it, so I don't know the particular car and what it cost to produce, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say that it was, uh, I'll give a partial answer that was a very, very limited run exotic material version of some Hot Wheels car, which I know is not a complete answer, but that's, that's as far as I can tell you. And it cost, um, I, I don't know. Two and a half million to develop. Two point five million. That's a gutsy That's answer. Wow. Unless. <laughs> God damn it. All right. Unless. Yeah. You're 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 trying to jerk me here a little bit. Because we never said the scale of the Hot Wheels car. One sixty fourth scale. Oh. Okay. Ah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. You know, because our friend Carson Lev headed up a team to build the full size twin mill. Oh, right. Ran and drove, and that was probably more expensive than many. Right. Of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, areas. no, that that was not. All right. I'm not doing that to you. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I just had to ask. Maybe next All time, right. but not this time. Yeah. So that that's my guess is that it's a whatever that mishmash right. of an answer was. Duly noted, fellas. All right. And I've got one. We'll make it real quick. Mm. Uh, to whoever wants to feel the answer first. That's going to be you, Chris. Oh, God. <laughs> when was the first plastic model kit made for sale? Just looking Ooh. for the year. Ooh. Does that include Bakelite? Um, no, well, I don't... Or just styrene uh, plastic? Plastic car model kit. Commercially mm. available. Mm. 
1936. And I'm basing that on Ford's experimentation with soy products at about that time, uh, resulting in plastic bodies. But that's that's <laughs> going off the rails again. Very good. All right. Ford's experimentation with soy products. Next thing you know, here's plastic models. Right on. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it was a little bit later than that, right. and I'm gonna say the first plastic model kit for sale. Mm-hmm. Came out in 1964. 64. Big year for the Beach Boys mm-hmm. and the Beatles. All right. Duly noted. Right on. All right. Well, we've kind of been all over the place already, which is great. Um, but what, one thing I wanted to do was introduce uh, our listeners to the context of, of who Mr. Vopat is and, and how he fits in. And, and at least my little world and, and Mike's as well. So Chris is a guy who's got a pretty diverse background, but I met him, oh, I don't know, probably 1997 Late 90s. Yeah. or eight, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, selling magazine advertising for Hot Rod Magazine, Car Craft, and Chevy High Performance. And uh, the office immediately next to me was the desk for uh, advertising for Four Wheel and Off Road Magazine, Peterson's Four Wheel and Off Road. And one day they hire a brand new sales rep who comes in, and it's uh, it's Mr. Vopad. That's right. And his office was immediately next to mine. And, you know, at, at that company at the time, I'd only been there for probably. I don't know, maybe a year, I guess, not even. And everybody who who worked there is trying to kind of fit in and carve a niche for themselves and and uh, and and make a go of it. And Chris was, um, and I mean this in the kindest way, but Chris is a, is kind of a different personality. He, uh, mm. he he was kind of an acquired taste at the time, primarily because Chris lived in in. Orange County in Southern California, I think actually in the city of Orange at the time. Yeah, exactly. And Still do. There you go. Same place? Yeah, same place. Same place, yeah. So for Chris to get to our Wilshire Boulevard, Los Angeles office was like a Herculean effort every day. Really? Because it was linear, probably what, 40 miles, 45 miles? 54. 54 miles, which encompassed him driving to a train station, jumping on a train, getting off the train, getting on a bus, taking the bus, you know, getting in a rickshaw and then a Sherpa and then climbing (laughs) a mountain. And then, you know, he finally would get in by by nine o'clock in the morning. But he left his house at like 2 a.m. You know, it just took forever to get there. Yeah, you're forgetting the Basura, but we can get into that later. Oh, the Toyota Basura? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) When I chose to travel privately. <laughs> right. So there were there were certain days when he drove himself all the way and he had this uh this gold Toyota it was a it was a was it a Camry? It wasn't a Camry, it was a Tercel? What was the thing? Well what happened? see as you so aptly mentioned, it was a Herculean effort and at the time I was driving a rather thirsty Chevy truck and when I realized I was gonna be spending two hours on the four oh five freeway uh, I decided to sell it and buy something that basically would just eat miles and do nothing else, and that turned out to be a 1986 Camry, which I purchased for $800, um, and that became the Basura. 
<laughs> yes, because as we alluded to earlier, Chris would spend time in in, uh, in junkyards and <clears throat> was oh, yeah. a, a fan of badges and stuff, mm-hmm. and, and created a whole new name for the car, a whole new badge. Oh, he badge nice. engineered this thing. It wasn't well, badge shaming. It was not. No, uh, no, no. If you recall, uh, the, it was it was badged as an Oldsmobile ninety eight. but didn't you have basura written on the back of it too no no, that's just what we that's just what we called it uh basura in spanish means garbage Ah, yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) well it it kind of became the bar car if you remember Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, anyway, Chris would get in and, and he's already kind of, you know, half beat down in his day just by getting into the office. <laughs> right. And and at the same time, as he also alluded to, he was going through a, a personal challenge of going through a divorce. So Chris was, you know, kind of a bus wreck in many ways. And uh, in the beginning, the other guys on the floor, you know, we were all trying to be high energy and, and fit in. And, you know, we're all super excited. We work for car magazines and this is the greatest thing ever. And Chris is like, oh, help me. Oh, man. <laughs> well, you were, if I can say, Kevin, you were an enabler. <laughs> oh, so it, it wasn't just now. It was back then, too. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I was only well, trying okay. to help. So I'm beaten down. I've got like, you know, I've, I've had the weight of the world crush my spirit. And this guy walks into my office and says, what do you got to live for? And I say, nothing. He goes, well, let's drink. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. That sounds about and right. That was, and that was about every Friday evening. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and so I was a single guy living by myself uh, at the time we first met in Culver City and then uh, and then in Hermosa Beach. So I was like you know, 15 to 20 minutes away from my house, as opposed to you being two hours away. Right. So luckily the, the whole crew that worked on the floor together, we all got along really well and we would go out every Friday night after work and we'd go to uh, Hollywood Boulevard and we'd go to a lot of these different bars and hang out and everything. And then Chris would end up crashing at my house and then waking up oh, Saturday morning, heading home, you know, it was, it was fun. So, so we bonded through all that and uh, I got to learn a whole bunch of great, uh, Volpat stories and see a lot of his uh, very animated impersonations of machinery and airplanes and other things. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <clears throat> and he became uh, definitely one of my best friends. And Aww. there's a, a little story that uh, that came up when I, when I met Kelly, right? So mm-hmm. I was on the Hot Rod Power Tour. You guys have heard the story before, but uh, cross country and Kelly and I met seven states away from where I was living and we started dating long distance. And and the first time she came to visit in California, um, Chris had already been, he's, he's in the recovery of his divorce and, and, uh, kind of, you know, getting his stuff back together. And Chris decides to kind of return the favor in a weird way. And I introduce him to Kelly. And before I say what happened, so, Mike, when you met Chris at the Hot Rod Power Tour stop only, a, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. Right. Chris told you to give a message to me, right? To Kelly. Or to Kelly. Yeah. What was the message? Do you remember? It's something like he, he still means it. <laughs> so... Chris, do you remember exactly what you told her when you when you met? Because I was like, I'm, well, I'm introducing Kelly to all these people on the floor. Me, and it's like, yeah, me, this is let Kelly. Me, and let me provide a little backstory, if I may. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I know you've probably talked ad nauseum about you know the galaxy taking its its first foray onto the power tour, and and you know I know what happened to your 390. Um, and I remember being under the dashboard of that car at 4 a.m. the night before kickoff, installing a stereo, and then saying, Kevin, what are we going to do to make sure this car makes it across the country? And you mentioned something about the oil having never been changed since your father had done it several years earlier. Um, yeah, but oil's millions of years old. It's fine. Yeah. Well, the car, <laughs> look at, look yeah. how long it's lasted. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was riding in someone else's car, which exploded in Barstow. So I came back to the office. Um, and then Kevin comes back, regales me with this story about a girl he met who helped him you know, Farmer Blanford's daughter comes into the barn and, and helps sort push rods and clean bolts and stuff like that. And, oh, my gosh. And then uh, two weeks later, it comes into my cubicle and says, you're not going to believe who I got an email from. I said, if it's the farmer's daughter, I'm kicking you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's true. I remember it. Long, and then, you know, one thing leads to another. She's coming out. She's coming to California. Can, can you, can you, uh, uh, you want to come out and meet with us? And, 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 you know, sure, Kevin, you're my good friend and I'll, I will do that. And, and, uh, so here's, here is the, the, the country mouse coming to the city <laughs> and standing in a line to get into a club on the Hermosa strand in a barn coat and sensible shoes, uh, looking at girls and <laughs> looking at girls in cocktail dresses freezing as they're trying to get into the same clubs and saying, why would they dress like that? <laughs> yeah, totally. She still says that. <laughs> so, so I, this builds up to Kevin is my, one of my best friends and, and, and I'm, you know, he's asked me to give my honest, and I thought she was absolutely wonderful. And, and I thought this is, I was so happy but as a little offhanded joke, I said something that is going to haunt me until my dying days. Break his heart, and I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, so Chris pulls her aside. And I'm going, wow. I don't know. I'm talking to somebody else. And he pulls her aside, and he goes, uh-huh, yeah, hey, Kelly, yeah, yeah, yeah. You break his heart, and I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and she turns to me with kind of this stunned look on her face. And I didn't know what happened, you know. And it was a little bit weird, you know. Um and I'm trying to remember at what point that I find that out, that, that, uh, that those words were said. I don't remember if she told me or if he, I think she told me later on. She's like, what's with that I, Chris guy? I know, and I felt bad <laughs> after saying it. It was a joke, and here we are 20 years later still talking about it. Well, but the good thing is she listened. She never broke my heart, which is fantastic. You Thank you for that. And you when, you met, when you met Mike, the, the message you relayed yeah. to, to Kelly was, I still mean it. <laughs> I, I well, told her too. At this point, <laughs> sure it's a, at this point, it's just a running joke. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a great one. It's a, it's a great story. Aww. Very funny story. By the way, just just one final comment on, or you know, as far as the 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 the, the, the legendary parties at the Hermosa residence. I was on Google Earth the other day. I'll just say this: the boulder is still there. Yes, 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 it is. Um, yes. <laughs> so uh, a couple of buddies of mine and I lived in Hermosa Beach in California, and we would have these, uh, we lived in the top floor of this apartment, and we had a lot of parties, a lot of social gatherings, people mm. would come over, uh, a lot of the 
car industry guys that lived in the area would come by. It was really a lot of fun. Our, mm-hmm. our, our Halloween party was a lot of fun. And um, my landlord got so mad because people would park in the right in front of this place, which looked like a parking spot. It held a vehicle, you know, right. it was, for all intents and purposes, it was a parking spot. And one day, uh, I think Chris discovered it. He comes over to my house and he goes, hey, Osti, what's with this boulder out in front of the place? <laughs> and the landlord had this like, you know, two-ton boulder brought in and set right in that parking spot, you oh, know, a boulder the size of a car because it was pissing him off that we were parking there. And that boulder is still there today. Yeah, you're right. Wow. I did. I actually looked it up on Google Earth the other day when I was looking for something else, and I was like, I gotta go see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. You affected permanent change in someone. Outstanding. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so over the years, uh, uh, my career went a, a direction, and Chris's went a different direction, and and uh, he ended up working for the uh, um, NMRA, the National Mustang Racers Association, and the Race Pages newspaper. And um, and then moved on to uh, uh, the race pack and worked there for a while. And now you're back with the NMRA. That's which true. Which you've been for yeah. a couple of years now, right? I have, I have, and I, I uh, one of my other best friends in in life and in this industry, uh, Mr. Steve Walcott. Yep. Um, number one, he's the guy who kind of got a foot in the door for me at Peterson back in the '90s. Uh, I was working for my parents who ran a business forms brokerage service. They're going to shut their business down and gave me the option of taking it over. Well, I'm, I'm sitting there designing a uh, warehouse restock form for uh, Slurpee, you know, <laughs> thinking, and you, and you turn this down <laughs> thinking, do, do I want to be doing business forms and business cards or my friend Steve just called and said, hey, man, um, if you think you can hack advertising sales, they just kicked one of the four-wheel and off-road dudes off his desk because they found a bunch of, in, uh, of inappropriate materials in his, uh, in his computer. Um, oh I, th- I think I can get you an interview. And so that, that was my, my end to interview with Mr. Jim Ryan, who was the, the mm-hmm. publisher. And I got to know Seber Gondio and, and Rick Payway and all the guys on the truck side of the industry. Um, and then uh, as the, the Peterson empire started to, you know, get sucked closer to the black hole and the, the reverse thrusters were rammed as far forward as they could go. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, people are being poached at their desks over the phone by other companies mm-hmm. that realize we don't want to be there anymore. And, and I got sucked into an even darker black hole, which was the first internet uh, uh, boom. Um, oh, yeah, in Racesearch. Racesearch.com, yes. Yeah. Uh, in 2000, every company in the automotive aftermarket realized they needed a website. They didn't know what websites were, but when Edelbrock... <laughs> When Edelbrock saw that Holly had one, they're like, give me one of those. And mm-hmm. when Flowmaster saw that Magnaflow had one, they said, give me one of those. And so all these companies now have websites that they don't know what to do with. And then somebody gets the bright idea, well, can we sell parts on these things? I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> mm-hmm. So carparts.com, research.com become the two internet powerhouses to try and figure out how to sell parts on the internet for the first time and it didn't work nobody knew how to make it work um but uh, so the it whole thing happen, was though. 
it had to happen. And in the early days, it was sad to watch because we had a, a room full of, of, of motorheads saying, I got 87 uh, Mustang 5 liter. I want a K&N air filter for uh, my, give me a part number and a price. And then the eggheads on the other side of the room, no, 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 no. You see, you give me the part number, and, and I'll tell you all the vehicles that that part fits. And, and they could never see eye to eye. The thing exploded within a year. And at the time, they made their own magazine, and I was designing, uh, or they were, they were uh, you know, doing their own advertising, and I was, I'm drawing the ad for the what is the back cover of Race Pages. We all get fired with an email. I call Steve Walcott. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm like, I'm like, we're just back from the PRI show. I'm finding out that we need to space, and our crates are going to get lean sold off the freight dock in Indianapolis because we didn't even pay for it. I call Steve Walcott. I'm like, hey, man, are we, are we into you for any money for these advertisements? He goes, yeah, you haven't paid me dime one. You owe me like eight grand. I'm like, we, we all just got fired by an email. <laughs> oh, man. So he's like, um, come in tomorrow. I don't know you. You don't know me. Bring a resume. And that was a little over 20 years ago. I did take a foray to go work for uh, Racepack for a couple of years. And through the acquisitions that Holly has made, that became something that's since moved on to their uh, headquarters in Bowling Green. So at the same, uh, around that time, I've rejoined the, uh, the pro media team and NMCA and MRA. Uh, now I'm basically head Sherpa and uh, logistics guy. So if it needs to get to an event, I get it there. I do the setups, I do the teardowns, I do all that kind of stuff. I'm not really into sales anymore because that's something that it will burn you out at some point if you do it for too long, as Kevin, mm -hmm. I'm sure you found out. Yes. So, but, uh, yeah. you know, um, so I'm basically been a Sherpa in the industry, but but it, it's, you know, like you know, you, you meet so many fantastic people and you get so many fantastic opportunities that, you know, a normal person who just likes cars may not have thr thrust in their general direction. Right, right. Well, I think there's a lot of cool things along the way. Like, for example, uh, when, when Race Search had their Dan Gurney uh, uh, All-American Racers auction. Oh, my um, gosh. Remember that? And they were, give, they were selling memorabilia uh, online. Ooh. And in person, I think. But that was my oh, chance man. to actually meet Gurney and, and tour that shop. Oh, that was Dynamite. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, Dick Dixon, uh, who's who one of my uh, – he's passed away a few years ago. Absolutely warm, warm gentleman who hired me into research with all the best intentions. They're looking for something else as a revenue stream. We're located in Santa Ana, five miles from Dan Gurney's factory. All of a sudden, we start receiving resumes from Gurney's people wondering what the heck is this all about come to find out this is about the time that toyota decided to go nascar they back up several trucks to dan gurney's factory they say thank you very much for 27 wonderful years of imza gt um you know of gt racing indy car racing you have 27 of our engines we'd like them back now oh my gosh wow so the plug gets pulled from Dan Gurney's main operation, and all of a sudden they need to let people go. So we start, we hire a few of their people, and we get wind that he wants to basically liquidate as much of his old stuff as he can do to sort of make some money to stay afloat. Because they're still racing Toyota Atlantic. They were developing the, uh, the first generation of the Alligator motorcycle at the time. And doing private work with, you know, they've got a water drag sled, a wind tunnel. 
um, autoclaves. They're doing carbon fiber in the early days. So they're, they had that whole uh, uh, track simulator on the hydraulic struts oh, yeah. and all that stuff. They had all that in, in a gigantic compound that took up like two city blocks. And so they hit on the idea of, uh, in speaking with some of Gurney's people, of doing an online auction of, of some just classic Gurney, mem- Gurney stuff. So Jack, uh, 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 Jack Saltiel and Dick Dixon, the two guys that run research, come into my office and they hand me a fan-folded stack of dot matrix printouts of the Dan Gurney inventory. And they said, read this, read this. And I'm reading words like turbo shell, upright, uh, uh, rear wing, front left wing. Do you know what these words are? And I said, yeah, get in the car. Get in the car. Now, um, I'm in the back seat of, 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 of Dick's Honda Accord. He said, memorize as much of that as you can. I'm like, it's three inches thick. Mm. He said, here's, here's the plan. We're going into a conference room with Dan Gurney and his handlers. We're going to propose the idea of doing an online auction for whatever they'd like to sell out of their shop. You're going to be the auctioneer. Just smile and nod and act important. We brought you in, and you're the expert. I said, okay. okay. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. I actually never so, heard that story. So um, uh, uh, Kathy Weida, who is his uh, personal secretary, and she's a wonderful person, um, and, and some of the other people in their orbit were sitting around discussing the idea. And I don't, I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm smiling and nodding as instructed. And so then they said, <laughs> would you like a tour of the facility? Oh, sure. So we're walking, build, this is building A. This is where we do the autoclave for the, uh, you know, the, the testing for carbon fiber. And these are the, all of the, the, the side pods from last year's Indy cars. And uh, this is our 93 GTP3 car over here. And then we walk into the magic room where they turn on the light. And, and as, you know, picture it in a movie when they turn warehouse lights on. And the lights are coming on. And on both sides of the warehouse, parked it at a 45-degree angle to center every car they've ever made. Oh, my gosh. Man. Really, they had all of them still. Well, okay, except none of the AAR cars, so none of the Kudas, none of the the Kudas, none of the Trans Am stuff, but every Indy car except for the... The really important one, the one he won, uh, 1968, the, the blue the blue and white car, number 36. Uh, but they're walking past all these cars. Oh, this is the only one that our team ever won, 1975, light blue, Olsenite car. There it is. That's our team car that won in 75. All these other cars. And uh, they let me sit in one of them. And, and um, in the corner, 1960s, light blue Corvair perfectly restored, sitting on four flat tires covered in a layer of dust. What's with the Corvair? <laughs> oh. That's what I want to know. What's with the Corvair? And uh, that was a car that apparently Dan Gurney took his wife Evie out to, and this is the story I was told, on their first date. Huh. For their 50th wedding anniversary, she tracks the car down, buys it, has it restored, and they take it, their 50th anniversary uh, dinner in that car that they had taken their early dates on. Whoa. He was driving this Corvair, apparently. And then, 
put it in the, side, the corner of the shop, and there it had sat ever since. So they're oh. like, will, will you get away from the Corvair? We're going to go look at these Indy cars over there. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> we, we, we get back to the office, and of course I'm starry-eyed, and they said, well, we, we played you off as the, the auctioneer. We have no idea what we're doing. Just go ahead and do it. Oh, oh okay. Okie doke. Okie doke. So my job becomes going into Dan Gurney's shop um, every week, selecting several items for sale, and, and I'm walking through the shop with uh, their their old their ex crew chief and 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 darn if I could remember his name. Wonderful guy. His wife worked with us at Research, but he is walking with the. I'm like, uh, what's my limits here? Okay. You show me what you think looks cool, and I'll tell you what it is. And we'll, we, we gather parts, put them on a cart, we put them in a big room. And then Mr. Gurney comes in. I'm following him with a dictaphone. This guy had the most incredible memory of anyone you can imagine. He picks up a smashed wheel. Oh, yeah, this was Road Atlanta, 1986. P.J. Jones was coming out of turn three. Mario crossed him up. And that's what smashed this wheel. Um, why would you want to sell this? Guys are asking for smashed up stuff because they know it's race used, right? And I'm just taking furious notes of what this man is saying. Yeah. What was this? Uh, oh, this is in the mid-70s. Everybody's trying to figure out aerodynamics. We figured if we slapped a, a wing on the roll bar in the middle of the car and run it around Ontario a few times and put some uh, sensors on it, see if it worked, bad idea. We ended up throwing that thing on the roof of the dually to get a little bit of uh, airflow over the top of the trailer for the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. uh, so we start selling this stuff online, and we this is before eBay. We contracted with a company out of, like, Delaware that did these little boutique online auctions. And, um, yeah, sold the stuff, and then uh, uh, he would autograph it for an extra few dollars, and it went to the Susan G. Komen uh, charity, and off it went to all the happy buyers. And then we started getting requests for people who said, do you have a, a left front upright for a 998 car? I'm like, why do you ask? Well, because I'm putting one back together. So now guys who had these cars are buying parts because they realize where they are. And it's like, you know, the, 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 the treasure trove lid has been taken off. Guys know where the parts are now, and they're trying to find things to put cars back together. It was really amazing. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And then the whole thing, uh, you know, we all got fired with that email. Boom. That was the end of that. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so I remember uh, doing a little uh, – promo thing for hot rod tv yes. at that auction oh, yeah. and and yeah, yeah. i remember walking down that aisle where there was like indie cars stacked mm -hmm. vertically essentially yes at oh, that wow. time they were they were um con they were consolidating space because they figured you know they're gonna have to sell some some of their buildings or something like that and they hit on the idea of basically putting in rack shelving and taking these cars that have been displayed on the floor at 45 degree angle, looking very, very beautifully displayed, but then basically just building a giant vertical hot wheel holder. <laughs> yeah, and, they're all standing on end. Oh, and wow. sticking these, oh you know, they weren't on end, but they were in basically steel cubicles on the wall. And, and, and they could save space that way and open up the floor. But um, it was like the most... Now you see Ford does it at every, you know, time they introduce a new Mustang. But at the time to see cars 
sort of package like that against a wall was just visually bewildering. Yeah, yeah. And and here's something that's kind of crazy. So as we're recording this today, this is the 51st anniversary of Apollo 11 taking mm. off, right? Yeah. Uh, last year, on the anniversary of the 50th anniversary of the actual moon landing, so it'd be a couple days ahead, July 20th or whatever it was, um, I got an email from Justin Gurney. Mm. And wow. And I remember telling Mike about this. Justin Gurney sends me an email saying, hey, uh, I watch your Muscle Car of the Week show. Do you know where I can find a clean, green AAR Cuda? Because we don't have any. Oh, man. (laughs) And I'm like, you guys don't have an AAR car? And and you just, you know, validated that story. Apparently, they never had any uh, outside of the race cars. And they got rid of them somewhere. Yeah. uh, And And there were some, there were some, some like vestigial, Wisping remains, like we found a pallet that had five um, Boss 302 Mexican blocks in Cosmoline, oh, and it's wow. like, yeah, that was for the uh, that was for the AAR cars, and like some dude that was building Silver State cars at the time came and bought the whole pallet of them, but uh, a couple of Ford parts just kind of creeped out of the woodwork while we were looking. Nothing, none of the bodywork you know so none of the hoods none of the emblems none of the stuff that made a cougar into a gurney cougar but just little things that you found here and there was crazy it's unbelievable that he he saved all that stuff and and of course uh today uh it's pretty cool because aar is doing so much more than their race program they're doing Mm -hmm. so much high-tech stuff in aerospace when oh, yeah. you watch the uh, uh, the Tesla rocket boosters come down and land, and the little tripod legs pop out at the last second, those are made by AAR. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. My neighbor, the guy at the end of my block, makes them. <laughs> no kidding. No way. This is the weirdest thing. Uh, he has a cat named Toby that wanders the neighborhood. Um, <laughs> I, I, he wanders into my garage. I feed him all the time. And Victor comes over to get his cat. One day he's like, would you like to come over for a glass of wine? And I, I'm, I'm sitting in his house, and I'm like, so what do you do, Victor? He goes, I'm in carbon fiber. Really? What do you do in carbon fiber? He goes, you ever watch the Falcon 9s when they land on the platforms? I go, yeah. He goes, I build the legs. Nice. I'll be darned. I'm like, you kidding me. You better give his cat some better food now, man. Yeah, right. Oh, he is. He is. He's the coolest cat in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, space cat. <laughs> yeah. Mike, uh, Chris used to have a cat named uh, Linus because he carried a blanket around with him. Is that right? Yes. That's awesome. Well, well, we was Linus Christ. Yeah, he saved your life. He saved my life. Really? He saved my life. <laughs> um, well, okay, so as Kevin said, I would drive my car to the Orange train station, take the Metrolink into L.A., um, Get off that, get on the Red Line subway, take it to where it ends at Wilshire Western, take a bus the rest of the way to the Peterson building, cross the street, bunch of guy out in the crosswalk, whatever, go into the <laughs> building. Um, so one night, and it was thanks to probably one of our, our, our uh, evenings out, I was out way too late and overslept. Uh, or no, 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 no. I, I got home too late and I forgot to feed Linus. So he's standing on me at five in the morning, jumping up and down saying, I would like my breakfast. (laughs) So as long as I was up, I took an earlier train. 
my normal Metrolink train got into an accident that day. Oh, no. And, and collided with a freight train in Fullerton. Holy cow. And Kevin's like, dude, if you were on that train, you would probably would have gotten cream. Then I said, I took the earlier train. Linus woke me up early for his breakfast. He goes, you got to call that cat Linus Christ from now on. He saved your life. (laughs) 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 Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Linus was a good cat. He carried his little blanket around with him wherever he went. Yeah, he he did. He did. So So one of the, one of the things that, uh, uh, Chris hasn't talked about that he does, of course, now in the COVID times, it's a little bit different, but for the past few years, he's been uh, a tour guide at the Peterson museum. Right. A docent. A docent. A docent. Yeah. Tour guides. Get it right, Osteen. Another trivia question right out the window, man. He's a a docent at the Pete and um, does just a tremendous, tremendous job. So a couple years ago, Kelly and I were back in L.A. um, What the heck? Oh, we were there for the the SEMA Hall of Fame banquet. And uh, we took a a couple days of vacation after that and just went and did tourist stuff. And at the time when, when Chris and I were working together for a while there, we used to actually park our cars at the Peterson Museum, which is a couple of blocks from the office. Hmm. Uh, And they weren't business related, which was interesting. Uh, You know, Robert Peterson kind of funded the, you know, a good part of the museum, but the, the, the magazine company really had nothing to do with the actual museum oh, which really seems detached but it, it, that's huh. how it was right. but they rented right. the parking lot for for employees so we'd yeah. park over there and, and take a little shuttle bus or, or walk over and uh we used to have meetings over there uh sales meetings and stuff and so i was pretty familiar with with the peterson but this was long before it got renovated and you know the the exhibits do change uh you know periodically yeah. so i told kelly i'm like you know what let's let's go to the museum you know and just be tourist museum right. patrons and uh i knew chris was working there and he said you know what you want to do is get the vault tour which is in the basement where the cars are in storage and uh and check that out so uh, we we took him up on it it was killer we got in the back of the line it wasn't a special treatment thing or nothing we were right. just in the crowd with everybody else and i'll tell you you did just such an, an awesome awesome amazing oh. job of telling those stories of those cars and engaging everybody uh oh, I, I didn't never want it to end man oh uh, well it, it's, it's my happy place and it, it, it goes back to those days when you know when I started working at Peterson Publishing, the museum had just opened and it was the place where we all wanted to have a meeting, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it was like, well, there's the rest of your day. How are you going to go back to working in a cubicle after you've just, you know, sat three feet from the hero hot of Mercury having a meeting about sales quotas? Uh, it's a little difficult. <laughs> hmm. And, um, you know, the earliest power tours took off from the museum parking lot back in yep. the, you know, like, 95 and and standing there in in this place and 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 being around all these cars and then being all jazzed up because you're going to leave the next morning to go on this epic journey that started from the nucleus of of cars in la it just kind of became this this cool place and i started running into their their people I would go to car shows and they would have one of their cars there and it would be stewarded by one of their curatorial experts or uh, 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 Tom Kinney, who was the collection manager at the time. Uh, and I started chatting him up. How do I get in over there, man? He goes, well, you can't just be anybody, right? Now there's a spot on the website. You want to volunteer, sign up. But at the time it was a little, 
you know, and I remember going to an interview at the museum. I might be a docent, you know. And again, this this journey from Orange County up to L.A., you know, driving in my two mile per gallon Mustang, and I'm too cheap to park in the garage now. I'm going to park on the street, and I'm wearing a blazer and a tie, and I've got a portfolio of stuff I've done, and I'm going to try and convince these people that I need to be, you know, a volunteer. And as I'm walking up to the up to the building, I see a girl very attractive, standing next to a Volkswagen Jetta with a flat tire and a lug wrench in her hand, asking mm. me for help. And I'm like, oh, this is a test. There's, some, <laughs> there's somebody in there. There's somebody in there with binoculars looking at this, isn't there? I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah I'll change your tire, Missy, and walk into the building all sweaty. Why are you all sweaty? Are you nervous? <laughs> I just changed that girl's tire down there. Oh, well, that was very nice of you, but let's talk about what you'd like to do here at the museum. I thought you guys, <laughs> but you're you, guys late. <laughs> you guys didn't set that up? No, we did not. But that was in the early days when the museum was a diorama, because uh, it was originally, as you said, Kevin, it wasn't part of Peterson Publishing. It was <clears throat> a branch of the Los Angeles Museum of Natural History, and the mission of the museum was to show how Los Angeles and the automobile grew up together. As, as basically brother and sister and shaped L.A., L.A. became a car culture. We have roads and freeways, and it dictated what the cars were going to look like and vice versa, and they impacted each other. Um, and that was cool, but a diorama that was built in the mid-'90s is still going to be a diorama built in the mid-'90s when you come back two years later. So uh, they shut the place down in 2014 and decided to turn it into a world-class uh, automotive destination, and they gutted... The all three floors of the museum, they put, if you've seen pictures of it, there's a red ribbon sculpture skin that surrounds the entire building. Uh, oh. Ribbons of stainless steel. It's a red building, excuse me, with these silver uh, uh, ribbons backed in red with, with backlit LED. It's supposed to emulate the look of motion, the look of energy. What would it look like if a building's in a wind tunnel, basically? And when it reopened, it was... Uh, basically what our curator called a European-style museum, very stark, black floors, um, white walls, black ceilings, low cordons, no ropes, very low wire cordons. You're taking a picture of the car, it's not going to interfere. Um, mm. But now you've got three blank canvases that you can change and mold and do whatever you want, um, and, and they can change themes and, and they can change the entire room uh, and and it doesn't it's not a static thing it's all very kinetic and and uh, the cars a lot of the times don't fit an exhibit so if they're not doing anything about muscle cars where are the muscle cars going to go down into the basement until they need to be on display um, and so that's the whole the mystique of the vault these are all the cars that are either off rotation or have just never been displayed for whatever reason. And there's a lot of cars that are privately owned just being stored down there because uh, it's a big place. And mm -hmm. so at first it was, well, let's make the vault, you know, it's just like this little morsel that maybe someone's heard of. And if you know the right guy and, and, and it's the right time of day and you get the right person, they might take you down there and show you around. But when they decided to do formal tours of the vault um, and asked the, the, the volunteer staff, hey, anybody want to go down there and give two-hour tours in the, 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 you know, the, the secret room? 
It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, well, and that's a, that's a page straight out of Disney. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, <clears throat> I'm sure you've heard the story, but in, in 1955, before, you know, when Disneyland first opened up, the, the landscaping wasn't done between the parking lot and the front gates. Yeah. And they had mm-hmm. the trams going by and Walt saw these weeds on the ground. He didn't want weeds. So he uh, yeah. they put little hang tags on the weeds with with the Latin name of the weed. Mm-hmm. So they made a thing out of nothing and, and, and yeah. not to say the vault is nothing, but they made an attraction out of this thing that was already there. Right, right. And, and at first it was, they still tried to capture the mystique of this dank, dark thing you're not supposed to be in. You know, the floors were a little dirty. We got to go through the shop area. They don't do any restorations at the Peterson, but essentially the cars are sympathetically maintained. So if a car is in running condition, it'll be kept in running condition and it's going to get driven um, and it's maintained for the best that they can do on premises. Uh, and so we would go through the shop and, oh, hey, guess what? Our Duesenberg is having a new radiator put in. So there's the whole front of it torn down. You get a good view of the engine this way. Um, mm-hmm. There are some cars that are in the garage area. Uh, now, now, pre-renovation, keep in mind, this is a department store. It was built in 1962. It was a Japanese store called Cebu. In 1968, it became an ore box. And in 1986, it shut down. It was never meant to be a car museum. So for the upper floors, for things that didn't fit up the spiral ramp at either end of the parking garage, it would need to be craned up from Fairfax onto the roof of the building and then driven through the upstairs doors. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So when they did the renovation in all of the, they've already blown the building up. They put an elevator in They'll basically, I forget the dimensions of it, but they're big enough to take a, any kind of vehicle they're ever going to display from basement level to rooftop. Um, just by driving it into the basement level garage, putting it in the elevator street level, putting it in the garage and up it goes to wherever it needs to be. Uh, there's one car in particular that I'm thinking about, which was a 1909 uh, Daimler. It was the coach of King George V, and that car is so huge that it can, <laughs> it's never going to leave the garage area because I think even with all four tires flattened, it can't fit under a, a sprinkler pipe or something like that. <laughs> but um, once they started getting feedback on this tour, as much as we could make it exciting and show people neat things, it was still a dank dark garage. So over the time period, they They've painted it, they've freshened it up, they've put murals down there, they've installed air conditioning and heat for the first time. It's it's kind of not cool when, you know, it's 95 degrees in this unventilated basement and people just pay 20 bucks to listen to you yammer on and they're passing out. Um, <laughs> so now it's 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 ventilated and um, uh, they, they've sort of themed it to where first we're going to talk about brass era, then we're going to go to hot rods, then we're going to go to... French cars and English cars and race cars and all this and all that. Um, and then presidential cars. What my favorite thing is, is taking a diverse group of people saying, I'm going to show you a whole bunch of different things that are probably going to blow your mind. And then just watching what people key in on and what cars certain people come to the front to look at what they ask questions about, you know, mm-hmm. um, it might be, you know, I could show you Fred Astaire's 1927 Rolls Royce. Yeah, okay, whatever. 
but we get to a particular Mustang and then somebody lights up and says, oh my gosh, that looks like the one that my dad had. Mm-hmm. Or, I got a Mustang, who cares? This is Fred Astaire's Rolls Royce, oh my God, is that Louis Vuitton luggage on the back of this thing? Yes, it is. So it's <laughs> fascinating to you know, just to watch different people who've been taken down there and see what they like. And it's, it's you know, if immediately, it's like water and oil. It's two groups of people. It's all the guys and all the girls who brought them there for their birthday or for Father's <laughs> Day or whatever. Yeah. Because the, the guy said, it'll be fun. And then the girls who's just kind of like dragged behind, like, uh, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. what's, the, what's the coolest and most inspirational thing about all this is the little kid who will force his way to the front and have his hand in the air at every single car and want to say something he thinks he knows about it. And oh, then the yeah. parents, and the parents are standing behind him, shrugging, going, uh, we, we don't know where we get this. We drive a van. Um, the kid likes yeah. cars. I don't know why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you take them by the shoulders and you say, nurture this. This needs to be helped. He needs to do this, you know? Yeah. I yeah. love it. I love it. You know, uh, hey, what's this little thing on the front of this? That's that's the hand crank because they didn't have starters in the early days. And you had to be a big guy to turn that thing. That's right. You know, uh, so it's fascinating to see little morsels of what people like about these cars, what they ask about them, what they really light up and, and what different cars do it to different people. Well, I'll tell you the one that uh, uh, got Kelly all wound up, and I don't remember what it was. It, it, it's a deco car. I don't know if mm-hmm. it was a. I don't know if it was a Delahaye. The story was that it was a gift, maybe oh, yeah. from the French government to yeah. a Persian prince. Right, and it's a, a wedding uh, ni- gift. Yes, 1939 uh, Van Voren coach built uh, Bugatti Type 57. Bugatti, uh, yes. it, it, in blue black very gorgeous car very 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 art deco and that was a car in 1939 the french government gave to uh the prince of persia who became the shah uh, bugatti is a french car some people think no it's italian vittori bugatti was italian he immigrates to france and that's where he built his cars so they're mm-hmm. french automobiles but like most another trivia uh, another out the window question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you Not go so there you go. But but if you look at uh, Delahaye, Delage, uh, Bugatti, these are the, the triumvirate of fine French automobiles. They didn't come with bodies. You had to have the body made for your car. And so this one is custom made by Van Voren, who is basically the, 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 the king of style during the Art Deco period. Every single thing on this car is a teardrop. And it is one of the two magnet cars that we have in the building. Um, and, and that car... If you think about Art Deco style, it did not transcend World War II. World War II is technology. It is engineering. Do we see Art Deco after World War II? Yeah, because we're building pre-war cars for the first couple of years after the war. Then it goes away. So pre-war, Art Deco European automobiles become cartoon characters in the 50s. That car is sold from the, uh, the Shaw's Garage for 175 bucks. You know, <laughs> oh my gosh. In 19 in 1959, um, 
And then the other car that she may have, and that a lot of people key in, which is the absolute marquee car for the museum, another Art Deco car, 1925 Rolls-Royce, which looks like it fell from space. Oh, uh, the round door car. The round door Rolls-Royce, which is given a Belgian Art Deco body in the mid-30s, uh, and it is absolutely one of one. Um, and, and that car's got a wacky, wacky story, because it's, uh, its original consigner, the lady who signed the contract, was the widow of Horace Dodge. And she cancels, she, you know, think about it. The the Dodge brothers are the two richest men in America. Their, their widows become the two richest women in America. Um, they can have whatever they want. Give me a roll. Driving a Dodge. No, (laughs) no. Uh, their groceries are delivered in a Dodge, but they, you know, she orders this car, cancels the order before it's even constructed. No problem. There's a waiting list in the twenties for a Rolls Phantom one. Uh, the car gets purchased by, I think, a Maharajo drives it around. It falls out of favor in the 30s with Art Deco, comes back with this new spaceship body with a round door and fared wheels and a dorsal fin and, and, and this, you know, these windows that roll down like butterfly wings. And, and the thing is, the toast of Europe for a few years, and then after the war, it shows up in a junkyard in New Jersey. It's found <laughs> again, and it's restored it's used to promote grocery store grand openings it disappears again it's discovered in japan in the 80s and makes its way to los angeles and mr peterson spends five years in a fortune restoring the thing um so you know each one of these cars just has this magnificent story and you're either going to roll your eyes or you're going to ask more questions about it you know? Well, that one, yes, that that was insane too. But the the, uh, I, I think she liked the um, the Bugatti a little bit more just because of the scale, because that rolls yeah. is is huge. It's it's enormous. Um, I've seen that car arrive at shows with a spotter car running in front of it, just because it's like driving a an armored vehicle. The windows are very small, and the thing is very large. Um, and it's kind of hard to manage the scale of it visually, but a, you know, a, a Bugatti is a race car. It's small. It's, you know, it doesn't fill your visual space up that much. You can see both sides of it at once. It yeah. just sort of suck the whole thing in. Yeah. That rolls is like, uh, you know, what a, what a, an early 1930s Darth Vader would have drove. Exactly. You know, that's probably the best description. <laughs> that's the best description you can give. It was like Ming the Merciless's car or something like that. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, so, of course, um, for me, and the tour is broken up into different uh, uh, categories, if you will, because right. I think you guys have different, uh, you know, because there's time constraints, you can't see everything. So you, right. you pick different sections and it's like, okay, we're going to see these, these, and these, and these, and those other yeah. things over there, just pay no attention to those behind the curtain. That's for the right. other day. And right. uh, we walked around the corner uh, and I stopped right in my tracks because there it was. Cadzilla. Oh yeah. There it is. Yeah. yeah Mike one of was the waiting ones. for this. And, and sad to say, uh, the last car I locked eyes with the last day I was there before the shutdown. Um, and, and, and this is, oh man, it's, it's so sad to not be able to go. Um, because of the shutdown, um, museums had to close and they, they reopened under, a, you know, under the auspices of what California would let a museum do. 
and, you know, there are hostesses on each floor squirting hand sanitizer, and everybody walks by, and there's lines on the ground, walk this way, walk that way, and they did their best, and they just had to shut back down again. But uh, the last day I was there, uh, mid, you know, between the, the shutdowns, uh, there she was, parked on the second floor next to the Hirohata Mercury, and um, just glanced at them on the spiral staircase. They were on the second floor on full display. Um, but I love it when that car is in the vault. And I know you've talked ad nauseum about Cadzilla, and, and, and we talked about Hot Wheel cars. Uh, in the 90s, when Mattel did the, you know, the special Boyd set, I've got every Hot Wheel that thing ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the special set that came with Shazoom and Cadzilla, you know, and then the big mm-hmm. scale cars and all that. So, and, and so I, I love it because the one car that I can kind of lead up to it with is you're going to laugh. Uh, the the 32 Ford that was used in the 1984 Van Halen video for Hot for Teacher. Uh, oh, right on. Which so is, let's hear how you do this. Seven degrees of uh, Kevin Bacon on oh, that one. Well, so, okay. So and and it's an 80s. You know, it's a locked into the 80s automobile. It's a yeah, sure. It's a it's a 32 Phaeton with you know bright yellow and it's got 80s period mags and it's got a 80s period red stripe on this you know it's it's a 1980s automobile and i come around the corner who's a van halen fan and i'm looking for guys my age right and a few guys look at their wives and then kind of sheepishly raise a half a hand you sir you're a van halen man i could spot you from a mile away i'll bet you i'll bet you're hot for teacher aren't you oh yeah and there's the hot for, and there's the hot for teacher car. Which, in the eighties, am I not mistaken? We all wanted that car, didn't we? Well, yeah, and and I think it's probably kind of a distant cousin of Eliminator. So I think I yeah, see where you're going. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. it's kind of a cartoon of the eighties. Yeah, and people, I kind of get the Chuck Barris, or the Chuck Bear, yeah, or, or the who's the guy, the Gong Show, right? Chuck Barris, yeah. Yes. But then I swing around and I'm like, now, who's a ZZ Top fan? And people say, are we going to see Catzilla? And we come around the corner and there she is. Yeah. And people are like, what was this thing? That was a Cadillac. Hence the name. Oh, man. <laughs> You're not kidding. Well, people zero in on so many details of that car, whether it's the, the gas tank on the nose of it. Mm-hmm. Dude. That looks like that looks like the the weird looking things I watched race in the fifties. Yeah, right. The wheels, those those custom wheels. Oh, I hear granddads telling their grandkids, you know, what we did back in the fifties. I don't care what you had. I don't care if it was a Pontiac. You put those Cadillac hubcaps on there. We call them sombreros, <laughs> and that's what you put on your car. Nice. That's it. That's how. You, that's what the cool guys did. They put these sombrero hubcaps on their Mercuries, right? And other guys look at how long it is, how low it is. They didn't make a Cadillac this low. No, they didn't. But you got to remember, Boyd Coddington is, you know, the, the genius wonder, the wonderkind who comes to the fore. And prior to this, I've shown them a whole bunch of... Um, of other Southern Californian design and built cars. And who am I showing them from the fifties and sixties? 
uh, you're showing them Larry Watson cars and like the hero yeah. of Merck, and you're showing exactly. them exactly uh, so customs this, like Barris and yeah. So this lineage of California, you know, ingenuity and where is it going? It's going into the the nineties, okay, um, with 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 Cadzilla, and um, if you ever saw, you ever notice the license plate on that car? It's a blue and yellow California plate. What does it say? I hate Tokyo. I hate Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> every that now and then, will never be a trivia question. Kevin <laughs> would get that immediately. Now, um, every now and then, I get the opportunity to lead a special group down there, whether it's special guests from uh, Cal Polytechnic Engineering School or whatever in, engineering students and, and stuff like that. I get a, I get I get there in the morning. I'm looking down the roster. Uh, Chris, this is your interpreter. Oh, uh, Japanese interpreter. Because Uh-oh. we have a bunch, we have engineering students from Honda who've come here from Japan <laughs> and, and would like a tour. Okay. Do you know how long it took me to try and explain the license plate on that car? I ate Tokyo. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got to understand. And I'm speaking through an interpreter. Okay. You guys have Godzilla, right? Godzilla. Gojira. Okay. They would know who Gojira Go- is. Go- Gojira. Okay. The car is called Godzilla. Kind of like a car version of Godzilla. Now, remember how Godzilla ate Tokyo? License plate says, I ate Tokyo. The car, no, 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 no. The car didn't eat Tokyo. (laughs) (laughs) You can see the circular argument that I'm sort of stuck in and trying to move away from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it's not about the plate, kids. It's about the car. Yeah. It's about the car. And then and then um, for the guys who really like ZZ Top, I can swing around because uh, when they do put Cadzilla in the vault, it's usually next to Slam Paula, which is Billy, the, one of the other Billy Gibbons cars that we have, which is a 62 Impala. Mm-hmm. Um, that is... Uh, Pete Chapora's uh, car, right? Yeah, which it's, it's sort of that aquamarine car with the Mexican blanket interior, and yeah. it's on the ground. It's a beautiful 62 um, they always park that with the lowriders. So we've got the El Rey, we've got the the Gypsy Rose. It's kind of like this lineage of. It's not a lowrider by any means. It's a it's a it's a you know sort of like the last gasp of a sled still being a big car. But, but uh, it's, it's kind of cool. Texano, you know, the same thing. So exactly, exactly. So it's kind of cool to just uh, you know, it's it's sort of luck of the draw the way they position cars down there. But sometimes you get this magic. Where they park the right cars next to each other, and you can weave stories about them, and Slam Paula and Cadzilla being close together, uh, and, and with the lead up being, you know, our friend from the '80s from Van Halen. It's kind of cool. That is neat. It's a great way to contextualize all that stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And, and, and I got to say, so the, the first time, the first time I saw Cadzilla was obviously under construction in Hot Rod Magazine with the Baskerville stories and all that jazz. But I saw the actual car on tour at the uh, Street Machine Nationals one year in Decoin, mm-hmm. Illinois. And it completely stopped me in my tracks. And, and, and honestly, it was smaller than I thought. It was definitely yes. lower, but it was smaller. And I know mm-hmm. it seemed larger than life because of Randy Lorenzen's fold-out poster yeah. kind of on my wall. And I just... The, the person personality of the car is larger than life but my buddy oh, yeah. paul and i were standing there under this tent in front of the mm-hmm. you know at the at, next to the bfg display and i'm uh, looking at this car and i'm like 
oh my God, here it is. It's on the grass. And I'm thinking this, this grass doesn't deserve, I mean, this car doesn't (laughs) deserve to be on the grass. This thing should be, (laughs) you know, it it should have been flown in on a Zeppelin with, you know, beams of light to the sky and everything. Yeah. It's, it was, it's, it's definitely one of the, one of the hallmark cars in, in, in the lexicon of, of hot rodding and, 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 you know, it leaves its mark and to see it, to see any car in the vault sitting in a concrete garage, you know, dimly lit, you know, as opposed to being on the second floor park next to the Hero Hot of Mercury, the absolute embryonic beginnings of that genre of car with that much, that kind of history, that's where it belongs. And it's, I don't want to say it's, it's weird to just kind of walk past, file past it in the garage, but when it's parked next to other cars of that, that you know that it belongs with and under perfect lighting and all that it's so much cooler to see it in a setting like that well and but at the same time i really dig and i really liked seeing it in in the basement down there mm-hmm. because you know hot rodding isn't necessarily and this is going to sound silly because people build hot rods and crazy cars because they want the attention they want to stand out right. you know they want all that right. but you know, ZZ Top and Billy Gibbons and that car, I think, are far more appreciated when you discover them. Oh, it's yeah. not in your face. And, and, That's true. and f- for that kind of presentation, I, w- I literally walked around the corner around this pillar and I, I went to Kelly. I'm like, there it is. <laughs> oh, <know>? yeah. <laughs> and it was just sitting there. And, and it's the coolest thing in the world for yeah. me. Oh, it yeah. is the, uh, I mean, next to Saturn V, you know, Moon Rock, right. it well, is well, the coolest thing in the world. And I'm like, and it's just sitting there like, hey, what's up? You know, what do you, what do you, what do you, need, what do you need? See, Kevin, and, and, and that's, that's exactly perfect what you just said. Because you walk past all these other cars. You walk past the Ferrari that, that, that was given by Enzo to Henry Ford II, the car that became the, the impetus for the Thunderbird. You walk past Steve McQueen's Jaguar. And then you saw that one car that really just blew your mind. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> And, and, and I, I like to get, I get there about an hour early because sometimes you don't know what's going to be down there. And sometimes, yeah, you get an email of, okay, hey, just so you guys know, for the next couple of weeks, it's just visiting. Somebody's going to drop off this car, this car, this car. But when you come across, you come around that pillar and you see a car that you didn't know was going to be there. And for me, it was about a year ago. It was the 6869 Golf GT40. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jackie X car. And I didn't know it was going to be there. And I go downstairs. I got my cup of coffee. I'm just half awake, lumbering through the vault. What do we got in here today, guys? And I'm staring at this thing. I'm like, cool, super performance car. Looks pretty good. <laughs> Wait, nope. those, are, those are Ford vents on the dash. I'm like, that's cracked lacquer. I'm like, uh, this is the car. <laughs> this is the most significant American-made racing car in history. <laughs> and it's yeah. sitting here. <laughs> and if I wanted to, I could lay my hand on it. I'm not supposed to. There's cameras everywhere. But I'm like, that was my Saturn V. Seeing this thing, I'm like, what's it doing here? Like, It's on loan from the Henry Ford for a couple weeks because it's going to get uh, put on display at the, Ford, at the LA Auto Show. Because they're going to introduce something, right? 
And there it was. Oh, man. And so I'm, I'm like doing my preamble in the lobby with my 40 guests. And there's a dude, obviously, one of these guys is going to be wearing a blip shift shirt with a golf car on it. Yeah. Invari- invariably. I'm like, you, sir, are going to have the day of your life today. He goes, <laughs> <"You know?" laughs> okay. We come around the corner and I see the jaw hit the ground, just like mine had done an hour earlier. And, um, and it's gone. Poof, off it went back to where it was supposed to go. And it was only there for a small little fleeting time. Um, but we get that every now and then. It's absolutely staggering. Uh, with the launch of Ford versus Ferrari, we had some Ken Miles cars for a while. Mm, nice. Um, and that was that was also very, very cool. It's like um, they had, yeah, they had his movie, the movie car that he drove, the, you know, the, the, the number one car. But mm-hmm. next to it was his actual, uh, it was a Daytona. And it was, it was one of the Daytonas that he drove in uh, either C, I think it was a Sebring car. Like one of the Daytonas. And it's one like, of the, yeah, right. Crazy. That's, and, and it's like, Ken Miles sat in this. Ken Miles drove this. Yeah. You know? And people are gabbing, you know, you know Googling the other, or, you know, ogling the other car. I'm like, that was made six months ago for a movie, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But this, they're like, it looks like a 240Z. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. um, and we yeah. are walking we are walking. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah so that is a really a special thing especially when it's a car that you've been familiar with you know for a yeah. long time and and uh for for zilla it was you know 88 89 when that thing first oh, yeah. was being put together and oh yeah uh, and again like i said i've seen it you know many times in person um I saw it on display at the Peterson. Uh, I saw it, uh, like I said, at the at the uh, the Street Machine Nats. But to see it just casually, just parked and and sitting oh, there yeah. was a totally. I think for me, it 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 was able to bring me a half a step closer to that car because it wasn't roped off and it wasn't on display. Right. You know, right. it was kind There's of no behind, pretense. Yeah, behind the scenes, look at this thing. And yeah. as the tour moved on, and and uh, that's when I was at the back. You guys were kind of going down the down the hallway. I kind of took a, you know, that last <laughs> stare at this thing. And and Kelly's like, "You're not going to cry, are you?" <laughs> I already am. Hey, hey. <laughs> sometimes you just got to cry. You know <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I cried when I saw the number six golf car. I did. Mm-hmm. I, I choked yep. up and you know, there's no photography allowed by the guests, which I understand why it's, and there's a lot of reasons for it, but you know, I'm down there by myself doing my sort of orientation walk in the morning and I'm snapping a few and texting my friends and they're like, yeah, that's cool. What car show you at? I'm like, yeah, no, no dudes, this Dude, you don't get it. <laughs> this is not a kit. This is the car. <laughs> and, and what's fun is, is, uh, we, we opened up for, oh, man, a week and a half before they shut us back down again. We had Cybertruck in the uh, in the lobby. Oh. And that was just kind of a fluke. Um, you know, I think Elon Musk was doing some sort of promotion, found out that Peterson was reopening, and I think called him a few days ahead of the reopening and said, hey, do you guys just want to plop Cybertruck in the lobby for a while? And they're nice. like, sure. And um, I... You know, I don't have any real 
I would say connection to Cybertruck other than just watching the hype that the world has with this vehicle. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's like you said, when you see it for the first time, you're either going to say that's bigger than I thought or that's smaller than I thought or that's about what I thought. And, and there's I walk in and I have no idea. I've not watched our social media for the past two days. And hey, look, it's Cybertruck. Cool. Yeah, thing is there it massive. Is. It's massive. It's huge. And yeah. they announced it on their social media like the day and a half before the first day of reopening and they had a line out the door because it's like uh, yeah I, who do who wouldn't want to see cyber truck uh, yeah, a lot of people put hooks down on that thing and then they want to see what they're going to get mm-hmm. i know I, I have some friends who have it's kind of fun you know yeah well uh we're going to wrap it up a little bit here i know this could go on we're gonna to have to have you back because there's there's sure. more stories oh, yeah. uh so for anybody curious, um, I highly recommend going to the Peterson Museum in, in Los Angeles. Uh, check schedule, see if they're open, you know, we're, yes. with all yes, this yes, nonsense, yes. Who, who knows. You want to make sure that if you go, you can have as full of experience as you can and not, you know, half capacity or whatever. I don't even know what they're doing to, to no. limit exposure, but hopefully you can go when it's uh, the full tilt thing. And I recommend seeing both, of course, see the top three floors, but also get a chance to see the, uh, the vault tour. And uh, if you're lucky, Chris will be working. You guys should be, yeah. be fun. Hey, uh, if, if, if you, if you come, please, you know, share your stories with us. I love the, one of the things that I love more than anything else at the end of a tour, watching a guy reach for his phone. Cause I know the next thing he's going to do is show me what he has at home. Right. <laughs> especially especially if that dude's from like Australia or Sweden or something like that. He wants to show me his, his Holden or, or, you know, his Vauxhall or something like that. And, and that's, you know, we love that. We, we just absolutely love learning what everybody else has. You know, yeah, sure, we have cool stuff. But so, there, so do the people who, who come there. That's why we go there. Yep. And, and we, like to, we like to learn too. Very cool. So what's the website, petersonmuseum.org, I think? or It's just Peterson, now it's with an E, so petersen.org. Um, if you just get a single page, uh, we're closed, uh, just keep watching it and, and get on the social media for it because they're pretty... If, right now, they're doing some innovative things. They're doing a virtual cars and coffee uh, every now and then where you can hmm. like send in a video of your car with a little narrative about it and they're stitching them all together and doing like virtual car shows and virtual cars and coffee and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, um, maybe I'll take a video of my Buick and this and then, dude, there you go. Dude, you should do that. <laughs> totally. And then we I'm get serious. Mike and the CTO. Hey, there you go. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's closest it's, that thing's ever going to get to the Peterson. Yeah. My Buick uh, outside of being parked hey, outside. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hey, man, it's it's been an absolute honor. I mean, you've, you've you've asked me to do this, and I've always thought, man, why would you want to talk to me? You know, like I said, I'm just sort of a a leaf that's been drifting through the rivers of the automotive industry. But, but we yeah, all have stories why. to tell. Oh yes. man, well, we all have them. we all have stories to tell, and we all love to share experiences. So this has yeah. been an f- absolutely fantastic opportunity. Thank awesome, you very much. Awesome. Yeah, no, no, no it's oh. been a, a, a lot of fun. But we got to get our answers to the trivia questions. Yes. Okay, who goes first? You go first. Kevin, you nailed it. Get out of here. God damn you it. Nailed I don't it. even remember the question. Why does the Citroën have a double Chevron emblem? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, it looks yeah. like that gear thing. 
Andre Andre Citron, uh, one of his first uh, uh, ventures was building gears, and there's some (laughs) there is some controversy as to whether he designed a bevel gear drive or whether he just purchased the patent for it. But he was the patent holder for one of the earliest um, uh, engineering or engineered bevel drive gear systems. I believe it was used by the French Navy. And he adopted the bevel, double bevel as uh, the emblem for the Citroen automobile. You're Kevin. kidding me. I got that right? Honestly, you got it right. Come on. <laughs> you got it right. Well, I, I'm not sure how that even happened, but I will tell you that um, I experienced, and, and thank you for pointing out the bevel gear. That was the name I was trying to come up with. The yeah. uh, I have a daily experience with the bevel gear because that is what my uh, my Roomba robotic vacuum cleaner uses <laughs> to pick up cat hair in the house is a beveled <laughs> thing like that. So nice. I, I thank Mr. Uh, Andreas Citron for yes. uh, doing doing what he did. Right on. That's true. All nice. right. All right. How, what's the what's the Hot Wheel deal? Okay, so I asked you guys what was the most expensive, what was the cost of the most expensive Hot Wheels cars ever made, Hot Wheels Wheels car ever made. Yeah. And it was uh, in 2008, and it was a car that was built to commemorate the 40th anniversary and the 4 billionth Hot Wheel car made. Oh, and the wow. The car was uh, a model that they have called the Custom Auto, which was named after Otto Cooney, who created the original artwork for that car in 1968. But this car was cast in 18-karat white gold. Huh! Wow! uh, Wow. Had 1,388 blue diamonds, 988 black diamonds, 319 white diamonds, 8 rubies, and 600 hours of painstaking labor to create. And at a cost of $140,000. Wow. wow. It was sounds a one-off like, car uh, made that was auctioned off. I don't know why. Something stuck in my head like something would have been built for like Princess Diana. I don't know why I went there in my yeah, brains was, after, uh, I, after I punted. <laughs> yeah. But your, the, uh, but your answer, um, Chris, the, uh, the beach bomb has a value of about $125,000. Yeah, okay. So that wow. means we both kind of won. Because I said made eh. out of some exotic material, low production. Yes, you did. You did say that, but right. I was looking wow. for a number. I'm, you're, you're, you got the Citron. I lost. Be happy with that. <laughs> yeah, man. It's awesome. <laughs> All right. So my question to you guys was, when was the first model plastic model kit made for sale? And Chris said in 1936, because Henry Ford was experimenting with soy products to make uh, bones and stuff. Yep, yep, uh, yep. And it, Ended up uh, making plastic model kits out of that. Cue balls said 1964. Yep. Uh, because the Beatles were into small cars and they wanted right, to man. build cars. The correct answer is 1951. Oh. 1951. In 1951, Ravel introduced its first all plastic model kit of an early automobile, a classic 1910 Maxwell, in ah. which they had had a driver, which was a scaled down version of. Radio comedian Jack Benny. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. So that was pretty cool. And I guess by 2000, the scale model industry had produced more automobiles than all the automotive giants of Detroit combined. Hmm. And to to think, I used to buy Johan kits for three bucks a pop at the thrifty (laughs) grocery store down the street from my parents' dry cleaners. And you know what my buddy's getting for those on eBay now? Yeah, he's getting like 150 bucks. 
Yeah. And how many of those did I burn? Yeah, we blew them all up. And that, that's the funny thing is that's how I lured Chris into this uh, podcast was telling we're going to talk about model cars. <laughs> <laughs> and we never got to it. Well, I did with my trivia question. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, so that's true. That's that'll, true. Be, uh, that'll be next time when you come uh, back. Wow. All right. Well, hey, man, this has been an absolute, absolute honor. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, this was a it's, lot of fun. This was great. Thank is, you for coming on. Hey, this this is like the uh, the spoiler on the back of my my COVID uh, uh, Odyssey. Um, I'm just gonna you know, my gurney lip on the back end of my COVID Odyssey, and I'm gonna use that to um, you know just create a aftercurrent of uh, recovery here. Nice. Nice. An aftercurrent yeah. of recovery. This is uh, Chris's wellness wicker bill. In you hear motion. that, Kevin? We cure COVID. This show. Yeah, I heard COVID. it here first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> VA Radio crushes the COVID. Crush the COVID. When I, when I, hey, seriously, when I get my retest on Saturday, it's dedicated to you guys. Right on. Right on. Well, we wish you the best it, of luck it, with that. If it's if it's if it's a negative. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I sanitized my microphone, so I'm good. Good. And Likewise. and say hi to say hi to Kelly. Uh, tell her I I I just I I could tell you're still. I don't need to reinforce. I think it's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Totally all good. I think it's going to stick. It's been a few years. Uh, yeah. And our best to your lovely wife, Maria, as well. And thank you. Uh, again, we thank you for coming on. We appreciate sure. everybody for listening uh, to this uh, Odyssey we call V8 Radio. Uh, please subscribe. Uh, iTunes is a good one. We're trying to boost that. Uh, iTunes is jerking us around, by the way. Yeah, the, they are jerking us around. Things. We, 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 at one point, Chris, we were we were in the top fifteen on automotive podcasts on iTunes. I know you you, you were doing good. Yeah, now we're like three million. Yeah, so I'm not sure what happened. Uh, uh, they they there's the only two million shows. I know. Uh, I know. We owe them credit. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, man. Hopefully, we can help spin that around, and uh, of course, all, right. all the rest of the places to listen. Uh, we hope you do that too, and. Uh, We'll be back next time with something else more fun. Then uh, maybe Chris will come back again, and uh, we'll, hey. we'll do more of this fun stuff. Now, now that I know it's now that I know it's fun and not scary, and I can do it sitting here uh, in my my bunker. Yeah, have me back. This is cool. Right on. Well, Chris texted me, Mike, right before the show started, and he said, "Do I have to wear clothes?" <laughs> and wait, wait. I'll have you know that that for this. Uh, I took a shower, I shaved, and I put on clothing for the first time in 10 days. That's outstanding. We can tell. Nice. <laughs> you, 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 you presented yourself as very well-dressed. Uh-huh. Thank you. <laughs> All right, my friends. On behalf of uh, Mr. Chris Vopat and Mike Cuball-Clark, I'm Kevin Oste reminding you to keep the shiny side under 100. And we'll see you next time on V8 Radio.